everybody doing today? There you go. See, they're, they're trying to keep up with you now. So, hey, let me just say this this morning because I think it's just something that we need to say to all of our college students. Welcome home. Amen. There's a lot of you that are returning. Some of you I know are new, uh, but we're, we're so glad to have uh, all of you back with us. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's a good day to have uh, VSU open back up and have all of our students come. And I, I know there's a lot of freshmen this year that are probably very excited about making new connections and stuff. And, and I feel confident that we're going to be doing that as a church, uh, hopefully being a home away from home for a lot of college students as they're away for college. And, and uh, I, I tell you, I just love what God is doing in the life of our church. I love Heather's story. Can't we just praise Jesus for what he's doing in her life as well? It's just really amazing to me to just see God moving in so many incredible ways. And I'm excited about our, our student ministry this year. Uh, we, know, uh, we announced a, a few weeks ago, uh, Ross Strickland and his wife Caroline have come and joined us on staff here as our, our student pastor. And just a lot of incredible things going on. I know this weekend was a, a real focus on our college students, but he's also been preparing a lot for our student ministry, meaning youth ministry. And so uh, I know he and Michael have been working hard just getting things ready for that. And in fact, I think, Ross, you have a table out there, don't you? Out, out in the atrium, right in the middle. If you, if you have any questions about either college ministry or youth ministry, they would love to connect with you and answer your questions out there. Uh, they have a lot going on and, and, uh, and, and just getting ready for a new season of life. Um, I don't know if you have realized it, but it, uh, in my mind, whenever school gets back in, that sort of marks fall for me. My wife reminded me this morning, it's not fall yet, hon. You know, I, I mean, I know we don't have the leaves changing colors around here, but Usually back to school is sort of that, that time of the year where I, I start, start thinking or dreaming about fall, but then I walk out after church after saying something like that, and it's 98 degrees, and I realize she's, she's right, you know, uh, but, um, but hey, we can call it fall, can't we? So, uh, but I, I'm looking forward to this new season. Uh, I, I know back to school is a time where we really kind of shift our focus, and we, we kind of get back in the groove of things, and, and so... Uh, I'm very excited about it. I hope you are as well. And this morning, we're going to be kicking off a new series called New Life, which I think for a new season in life, that's probably a good title. But we're talking about the new life that we have in Christ Jesus, and we're talking about also as a church, as a faith family, just the new direction and everything that God's taken us in. So uh, this is going to be a, a, a rather long series. In fact, this is a 13-week series that we've put together. We're going to be walking through Ephesians. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I'm very excited about what God is doing uh, among the staff as we've been praying about this series and just really seeking him and hoping that, that through this we will continue to see a lot of life change taking place. And so uh, God is up to some huge things in our life. If we're just faithful enough to look around, we can, we can see it where he's at work and, and just uh, glorify his name. Amen? And so uh, let me pray for us this morning. We're going to dive into God's word together and uh, continue to worship in the reading and preaching of his word. So pray with me, if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you, Father, for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, for your presence in our life. And Father, we thank you for uh, these returning students that are here with us today, and, and even the new ones that we've yet to meet uh, here this morning, God. But Lord, I just pray your blessing upon uh, VSU's campus and and, and the other colleges as well here in this town because, God, we, uh, 
we, we know that you want to continue to change lives, that you're constantly busy about doing that. And so, Father, we just, we pray over our, our college campuses and just ask that you move in a mighty way. God, we, we thank you for your presence in this place and the opportunity we have to gather each and every week to just worship you in spirit and truth. And, and Father, to come together and collectively lift up our voices in song and adoration and praise and celebration to, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we, we just welcome you in this place. And, and Lord, I know that through the reading and the preaching of your word that you want to just do something remarkable in our hearts God, uh, your word teaches us that it never returns void. And so as we open up your word and we, we begin to try to understand what it is that you want us to know today, <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would just bless us beyond measure. I pray, Father, that you would uh, open up our hearts and our minds, that we would be receptive, help us to set aside those distractions that exist in our life. And God, may we hear your voice this morning. God, we love you and we need you, as Heather testified in the video, God, uh, you know, we are dependent upon you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us here today. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For our new series, we're going to be diving into the book of Ephesians. And I'm very excited about this. Uh, like I said earlier, we're going to go about 13 weeks into this series and we're going to cover chapters one, two, and three as we walk through verse by verse uh, the book of Ephesians. Now, we won't get through Ephesians, uh, but we'll get to about the holidays. And when we get to the holidays, then we'll, we'll, we'll sort of transition and do some holiday stuff. I mean, I think, uh, you know, usually on, in, in December, we need to celebrate Christmas, right? The birth of Christ. So we'll, we'll take a little break and we'll, we'll refocus on that. And, and then by January, we'll hopefully go back to Ephesians and continue our study there. But I'm really looking forward to that. And, and, and here's why, because Ephesians is the church's book. You need to understand that. Ephesians is a book that, that really, quite frankly, we should be reading through quite often because in the book of Ephesians, in Paul's letter to Ephesus, the church gathered there in Ephesus, he is helping us to understand a lot of things that we need to know as we live out our life as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. He's helping us understand our identity in Christ Jesus. And that's foundational. Now, typically, when we think of reading the Bible, we think about learning about who God is, and certainly, there's an element to that. In fact, that's the most important thing, is understanding the theology of who God is, and, and who Christ is, and who the Holy Spirit is, and, 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 and you know everything we can learn about God, that becomes so important to us. But also, what is important for us is to understand who we are as believers or followers of Christ because it's in understanding that that we're better able to love and worship and serve our Lord and Savior. And so Paul understands this, and so he writes this book to the Ephesians to help them understand that. Now, one of the things that, that I believe is, is very important for us to understand is, is just how important it is. And In fact, I believe it's probably one of the most important books of the, of the New Testament. And so that's what we're going to be reading. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me, too, just how, uh, how often we see Ephesians met, mentioned in the Bible. You may or may not know this, but uh, Apollos and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, were the ones that sort of kick-started the, the church there in Ephesus. Ephesus was a, was a booming uh, city. It was, uh, the, the Romans actually called it the Great Metropolitan. And so it was a place 
that was very strategically located. You could reach Ephesus by sea and by land, and it was a place of commerce. It was a place of banking. And so it was a very influential city. It was a very culturally influential city as well. They had a, they had a theater there in Ephesus that would seat almost 50,000 people. And so that's pretty remarkable for its day. And so it was a place where a lot of people were coming and going and passing through. And it, it, was, a, it was a really just incredible place. And God led uh, the Apostle Paul to go to Ephesus and to eventually plant a church there. And the Bible tells us that Paul was pastoring that church for three years. And so he was there for quite a while. He was raising up leaders and making disciples and, and, and reaching the city. But what you may not know is, is the young predecessor of Paul, Timothy, who we have two letters written to Timothy in the New Testament, was also a pastor of Ephesus. In fact, Paul was writing to him in his first letter, and he challenged Timothy. He said to Timothy, he says, you need to remain there and basically continue teaching correct doctrine so that the people would understand who Christ is and, and what their responsibility is to the kingdom of God. And so he was, he was writing to Timothy as he was pastoring Ephesus. And then another person that you may not have known that pastored this church in Ephesus was the Apostle John. In fact, John 1, 2, and 3 was written while John was there in Ephesus. And so this becomes a very important place for us. It becomes a very important work of God there as Paul has you know, started this work, but it has continued, and it continued to make an impact on the world. This church was one that Jesus himself mentions in Revelation. And so uh, he, he speaks of Ephesus as well. And so it becomes one of these books of the Bible that I think is very important for us uh, to understand. And so this morning, we want to dive in here. We want to look at this. We want to try to understand it and try to understand what it is that Paul is doing as he writes these first few verses that we're going to look at today. Now, remember, if you were writing a letter to someone, you would probably start off with a bit of an introduction, you know, hey, what's up, bro, you know, something like that, and then you would, you would kind of get into the heart of it, but you, you have an opportunity in, in that intro to, to, to really sort of say something foundational or something, kind of lay the groundwork for what you want to say, and that's exactly what Paul's going to do in verses one through six, and so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go with me to turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, and we're going to be looking at verses one through six here today. We're going to be looking at the issue of God's sovereign work. God's sovereign work. That's where Paul goes with this as he, he begins to lay this out. And what we're going to see is that even though he's, he's going to eventually write about the sovereign work of God in Ephesus and, and how he's using these people, what we're going to see today is that he really lays the foundation for who we are in Christ Jesus. And so it becomes one of these things where as we look at the passages today, we're really seeing God's sovereign work in our own personal lives. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning as we read this text. And so read this with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter one, starting with verse one, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he writes these words. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be 
the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In 2013, this was quite a while back, I understand, about five years ago, we, uh, we came to a place in our church where we really seeking God's direction. We were trying to understand what God's plan was for us as a church. And we, we, as we met as leadership, we met and we began to pray and we began to just seek God and we were really trying to understand, God, what is it that you want us to know? What is it that you would have for us to, to, to understand? And, and, and what is most important for us and our life at this stage in our ministry? And what we eventually came to was believing that God was calling us to walk through a series called Matters of the Heart, Matters of the Heart. And so we developed this series and we, we began to preach this series and we began to, to walk through this series in our life groups and, and we began to see God do some incredible things. In fact, we began to realize that this series became for us sort of a turning point in our ministry. Some would say that it was a time in their life where really personal revival began to take place. And I know for me personally, that I would be one who would say that. For, for me, it was a, a place where, uh, you know, you just kind of get stuck in that rut and, 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 and I found myself sort of there. So it was a time that was very uplifting for me. It was a time that got me out of the rut and just really centered back on who Christ was and, and, and allowed me to just really focus on that spiritual walk with Jesus. And so... I know for me, there was a time of just real personal revival, and for many others as well who gave testimony to the revival that was taking place in their life. But it was also that time in our church where it really began to, to be the beginning point of a new season. It was a time for us where we began to, to think about the future a little more, and we began to look at what exactly God was calling us to do and to be as a, as a faith family, as a church. And so it was very instrumental in us understanding all of that. Now, as I look at this, um, and I look at what Paul is saying here, I begin to, to realize that what Paul is saying here in this text, what he's trying to help us to understand is, is that our identity in Christ Jesus, our identity in, in the Lord is one of the most important things that we could understand. It's one of those things that, that we really need to understand. And in that series that I was talking about, we started that series out asking a question that really would help us to understand where, what it is that we really need to understand. The question that we asked during that time of our life in 2013 was this question. As I launched the series, I came out and I asked this question. Why are you here? Why are you here? That question was a question to get us thinking about the reasons in which we exist as a church. And, and, and that's a great question to ask, isn't it? I mean, as we gather in this place here this morning, 
You know, we, we, we've come in and, and maybe some of us kind of rolled out of bed. And we didn't really want to be here, but we came anyway because maybe a friend was texting us and telling us, you got to come go with me. And, and maybe it wasn't something we really want to do, but we, we rolled out of bed and we, we came and, and, and we're here. Maybe for some of us, you know, we woke up at, at 2.50 in the morning and we, we, you know, just started getting excited about being here and, and worshiping with a faith family, that would probably be me, you know? And so we're, we're just all at different places in our life, but, but I think that, that one of the things that is very important for us to ask ourselves as we gather in a, in a building as a, as a faith family, as a local church, is why are we here? But another very important question, and this is the one that Paul's gonna really sort of hone in on and, and answer for us, is this question. Who are you? Who are you? More specifically, who are you in Christ Jesus? And that becomes a huge question for us and one that I believe Paul is trying to offer to us an answer for, maybe because he was dealing with people who were living their life and they were calling themselves believers and they weren't really following Christ or maybe they were asking him, help us understand this, who is who are we in Christ Jesus? When, when, the, when, the, when the word talks about us being in Christ, what does that truly mean? And so here Paul begins to lay a foundation. What I believe he's doing is he's setting us up for everything else he wants to say in this letter to the Ephesians. In other words, he's sort of teeing up uh, this letter by dealing with one of the most important things that we could ask ourselves, and that is who are we in Christ Jesus? So that's what we're going to be looking at, that, that, that personal work of God in our hearts and who he has established us to be as followers of Christ Jesus. And so we look at this and we begin to understand just how important this is, just starting with verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Read this with me, if you will. Paul says this, and, I, and what I want to do today is just walk through each verse and let's just look at it and see what what is really important to us and, and what is it that Paul's trying to teach us. But in verses one and two, Paul says this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now look at these next few words. He says, grace to you. You see that? He says, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul uses a couple of terms here in this, this passage I want us to look at. The first one is this word grace. He uses this word grace, and, and I don't think it's just by coincidence. I don't think it's, you know, I believe that the, the, the word of God is inspired and, and it's inerrant, and, and God was leading these anointed people to write these words. And so as Paul is writing these words, he says to them, grace be to you. And what a reminder of just the reality of what Christ has done in our life when we see this word. Now, most of us here, if we understand anything about the gospel, we would understand that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, and we would know that what that means is being saved by grace is that we have received that which we don't deserve. That's literally, in a very basic way, what, what grace means. It means receiving that which we don't deserve. And so God's salvation or our salvation that God has granted us is literally a gift that he has given to us that we receive even though we don't deserve the gift. We don't deserve 
the, what he has given us, but he has granted that to us. And so it's, it's very clear that the Apostle Paul is wanting to remind them of God's grace as he continues to write. He uses this word grace later in the passage. We'll see that in just a moment. But here's what I want us to see. Because most of us are very accepting of this word, aren't we? We see this word grace, and man, we get warm fuzzies. In fact, let me ask you this. How many of you are thankful that you've been saved by God's grace? Amen? See what I mean? We celebrate that one, don't we? So we get, we get real excited about a word named grace, or a word uh, called grace. But here's the one that we find a little harder to accept. I want you to look at this. Paul uses this word, saints. He's writing, now remember the audience, he's, he's writing a letter to the believers, to the followers, to the disciples of Christ Jesus who live in Ephesus, those people who are true, authentic Christians, if you will. These are, these are believers. This is the, the church that is gathered there, that, that local body of believers. He's writing to them, and this is how he addresses them. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, this is a term that as it relates to us, we find a little bit harder to grab hold of, isn't it? And the reason is, the reason that we find it a little bit harder to call ourselves a saint, and most of us probably would never want to do that, is because we think we are somewhat being boastful if we even go there, but that's not the real reason. The real reason that we often won't use this own term about ourselves is because as we consider who we are, as we look at our identity, we begin to immediately think of our own inadequacies, we begin to think of our own failures, we begin to think of our past, we begin to think of our sin, we begin to think of our fears, we begin to think of all the things that would not make us a saint. And so when we see Paul writing to the saints, we, we, we look at that term and we, we almost go to this place where we begin to believe that, that what he is talking about is those really highly spiritual people that were just living for Jesus at the time and we don't dare place ourselves in that camp. But the reality is what Paul is doing here is he's using this term saint to refer to all those who know Christ Jesus. So he would be saying, he would be saying, if you have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ Jesus, then you are saved, you have salvation, and you are therefore a saint. Now here's what we need to understand. The word saint, it literally means to be made holy by God. And that would be another word that we probably don't want to grab onto a lot of times because of those same reasons. But here, the Apostle Paul is using this term. He's talking about this reality that those who he's writing to, these believers, these followers of Christ Jesus, are saints because of the work of God in their life. He's pointing to the reality of God's sovereign work in their hearts and in their lives and in their church. And so he's pointing to this reality. Now listen, we need to understand this. We need to grab hold of this because this is foundational for everything that we believe about who Christ is. But every time we see a believer referred to as a saint in Scripture, we must realize that the, a saint is not a saint by what they have achieved. A saint is a saint because of what God has done in them. You being a saint has nothing to do with your own merit. You being a saint has nothing to do with what you have accomplished for God. So you don't have to live trying to be a saint, okay? You don't have to live trying to, trying to 
you know, prove God, to please God every single day of your life, living in guilt most of the time because you're not living up to the measure that you think God has placed before you. What we see in Scripture as we understand what a saint is, is that a saint has been made holy not by their own works, not by their own achievements, not because of their own merit, certainly not because of their resume. They have been made a saint because Christ went to the cross and it was there that he died and his blood was spilled and the work that he did for you, you were saved by his grace through the work of Christ on the cross and therefore you were a saint. God did that for you, not you. You need to understand that. As you think about your identity, you have been made holy because of the work of Jesus on the cross, nothing else. And that's what Paul's saying here to us. I mean, this is encouraging. How many of you have ever thought when you read through a book of the Bible that the, the introduction could be so powerful? You see, I believe that when Paul's writing these words, he is, he is declaring truth from the very beginning. We're talking about identity. How did he start this whole chapter off? Paul, an apostle. He's talking about identity, isn't he? He's talking about who we are in Christ Jesus. And one of the first things he says is he says, don't ever let the world, don't even allow yourself to convince you that you are something you are not. Christ died for you. Christ loves you. He loves you so deeply that while you were yet still a sinner, he went to the cross. Amen? And so Paul's setting this, setting this thing up, really focusing in, focusing in on who we are as believers and followers of Christ Jesus. According to Scripture, there's never been a single person who is worthy to be called a saint because of what they accomplished. It was always based on what God had done in their life. Paul clarifies this for us in Ephesians 2. I've, I've been sort of quoting through this, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul writes, and I know I'm getting ahead. If we're walking through Ephesians, I should have saved this really, but I'm gonna go ahead and give it to you. But he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You are being made holy by a sovereign God who loves you. And so Paul is saying this, and he's speaking into our identity, and, and, and this should impact how we live our life. Uh, and so I want to drill down into the next few minutes that we have together uh, in the remaining verses, and let's just look at what the scripture is teaching us. Look at verse three with me, if you will. We'll just continue on here. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now here's what I would draw out of this verse. That grace, and remember he's talking about grace, he's pointed this out to us, but grace establishes a vertical focus. Grace establishes a vertical focus. When the foundation of your identity is in God's grace, your focus will no longer be inward, it will be upward. And that's what Paul begins to say. As, he, as he's writing to them, he wants us to understand, when we recognize what Christ has done in here, when we recognize what Christ has done in our hearts, something happens. And as that, 
that that happens, that heart change begins to take place, that what happens is we, we, we begin to realize, it's almost a humbling, if you will, it's almost a recognition of just how beautiful Christ really is, and as we begin to see that, we begin to be blown away by the presence of God in our life, the fact that he would save us by his grace, that's, that's enough mind-blowing right there to, to change our, our, our minds and our perceptions and our, our perspectives on life, but but what we begin to see is we begin to see God as he changes our life, as he, as he saves us, our perspective begins to change. And no longer are we thinking inwardly or looking, but we're looking vertically. We begin to cast our eyes uh, heavenwardly. And I, I want to show you this because this is really powerful here. The word blessed that Paul uses here in verse 3, he says, blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this word blessed that in, the, in the context that he is using it, it is coming from a Greek word that always refers to the Father, okay? And so he's talking about this, this word blessed. But here's what we need to understand. This word, this Greek word that he's using is the word that we use to derive our English word eulogy, okay? And so it comes from this word eulogy, which means to praise and exalt and to lift up. And so what happens is when Christ comes into our life and our hearts begin to change, suddenly the things within and the things around us aren't nearly as important as the things that are above, right? And so we begin to focus more on who Christ is. And so what we begin to realize is that grace establishes a vertical focus. I remember years and years ago when I was going through probably one of the most difficult times in my life. I remember it was a time of discouragement. I remember it was a time of despair. Uh, it was a time where I was just really, uh, just at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I, I just didn't feel as though I could be any lower. And I remember I just began to search God. I mean, I began to just really seek God. I mean, obviously, I, I was a believer at that time. I knew God. I knew, I knew Christ. And I knew that I was saved by grace. But, but I remember just just praying and spending time in God's word. And as I begin to read God's word, God began to reveal to me exactly what grace really was. And I remember I, that day when it suddenly hit me. David, you've been living your life trying to earn God's grace and not recognizing that God's grace is a free gift that you could never earn. And I remember when that, when that hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember just beginning to weep as a baby, I mean, like a baby. I mean, I just began to cry tears that were just, were just huge in my life because it made God so beautiful to think about just how, how gracious he was in my life and how he had changed me and how I suddenly, I just, I needed to, to remember that God was just so good that he loved me. I mean, he was revealing so much to me during that time. But one of the things that he revealed to me was just how beautiful grace really was. And I remember how immediately, with tears coming down my eyes, how I began to just praise his name. I, I just wanted that day, I wanted more of God. I wanted more of Jesus. I wanted more of the, the Holy Spirit in my life. I just was hungry and thirsty for more of him in my life because he was so beautiful. This word that Paul uses when he says, blessed be the Father, this isn't a word he's just throwing out there as a transitional word to, to sort of change the subject. 
He's throwing this word out because it means literally to lift up your eyes and recognize God for who he is. So in our identity, those who, you know, recognizing who we are, it also becomes important to understand that that grace, it, it, it changes that perspective for us and it leads us to a place that we, that we need to be. Verse four, let's go on and move to that. We've got, man, I gotta hurry here. But verse four, it says here, Paul writes, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he uses this term, holy and blameless. And remember, I said a while ago, we're gonna come back to that, right? I said a while ago, saying is a word that we don't typically attach to ourselves because we don't understand the real meaning of, uh, of, of what Paul means when he writes the word saint. Well, here's another one that we, we have a hard time really grabbing hold of and attaching to ourselves. Now, let me, let me just help you understand this. We are not righteous on our own. We are only made righteous because of Christ's work in our hearts and in our life. But here we see this term where Paul is writing to the believers in, in Ephesus, and he says that we should be holy and blameless before them. Paul is saying the work of the gospel leads us to a life of holiness. It leads us to a life of blamelessness before God. Now, I also realize this one can be intimidating because once again, as we think about who we are, as we think about our identity, and we start thinking about who we are in Christ Jesus and that we're called to be holy, we're called to be blameless, and we begin to reflect on our life, and we begin to think that our life doesn't look anything like these two words, right? We begin to, once again, go to that place where we begin to dwell on our shortcomings. We begin to dwell on our past. We begin to dwell on our fears. We begin to dwell on all those things, those inadequacies and the, the sin in our life. We, we dwell on everything that is opposite of holy and blameless. And yet here Paul says, as believers in Christ Jesus, we are to live holy and blameless. And boy, how intimidating this can be. But let's not miss what Paul is saying here. He says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That becomes huge for us, and here's why. Why would we go back to our past? Why would we go back to our sin? Why would we go back to all of these things when we read a passage that challenges us to be holy and blameless when the scriptures say that before our mothers and fathers were even thinking about us, Jesus was loving us? Why would we allow our minds to go to that place when the scriptures teaches us that before the foundation of the world, Christ Almighty was thinking about us, and the reality is the Bible teaches that he cares so deeply for us, he loves us so much, that while we were yet still sinners, he went to the cross for us, and it was on the cross that he died, it was on the cross that his blood was spilled, it was on the cross that he, he, he died a horrible death, was buried in a tomb, and in three days he conquered both sin and death. He did that for us. Not that we would be happy, not that we would live lives that have no problems in this world, but he died on the cross that we would be holy. He died that we could spend an eternity in the presence of a holy and righteous God. That's what he did for us. 
And so Paul says, before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Why would we allow ourselves, as we think of who we are, not to be able to go to a place where we recognize ourselves as holy and blameless, understanding, of course, that it's the work of Christ that got us there, not our own merit, not our own achievement. It's the work of Christ who got us there. Why would we not be able to go there? And so Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, don't leave this part out, that before, even before the foundation of the world, that we should... Uh, we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul is not saying that you've got to be holy and blameless so that, so that you can earn God's love and salvation. Paul is saying the only way you can be holy and blameless is if God changes you. That's what he's saying. He's speaking from personal experience. You remember Paul's story. Paul was a man who hated Christianity. He hated Christ, didn't he? Paul was a man who, whose life mission was to destroy those who were followers of Christ Jesus. And he did his part in doing that. That is, until Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. The scriptures tell us that when Christ came to his li into his life, his eyes were opened. Amen? Just like yours and, and mine, our, our eyes were open to the truth of who Christ was. And Paul became a changed man. Paul was a man who was no longer looking inward. He was looking upward. And he began to not only believe and follow Christ, but he began to live for Christ. He began to carry that gospel message of hope to others that they may know him as well. And so Paul is speaking. Paul knows he's speaking from experience when he says that it's up to God changing us. He writes to, to Timothy saying this. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So, so Paul says when he's writing, he says, man, Jesus came into this world to save sinners and I was the chief of all sinners. And then he says this, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So the apostle Paul recognizes this whole holy and blameless thing, it's not because of what he did. He was doing all the wrong things. It's because of what Jesus was doing in his life. Timothy Keller was once writing about the difference between what he calls the idea of God or the, 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 uh, the context or the concept of God versus the real God or the real understanding of who God is. He writes these words, and I think they're, they're very powerful. He says, if you believe in God and it just hasn't changed you much, it's because God is just a concept to you. But when the real God comes into your life, things start to give way in your life to his glory. Things that you believe are changed because of his word. Instead of God being fit into your agenda, God becomes your new agenda. I love that. Because he says when God changes the heart of an individual, it's not about taking some sort of religion or some sort of Christianity or some sort of concept of who God is 
and say, well, I'll take that along with me and I'll see how this might benefit my life. And it's not about that. It's about God coming into our life through his sovereign work and changing hearts and changing minds and changing souls. And as he does this, we begin to say, God, how do I fit into your agenda? How do I fit into your work? How do I become a Christ follower who lives for your glory? Very powerful what Paul is writing here. Verse 5, and i got to hurry, I know, because the music's already started. That's always a good sign, isn't it? She loves to do that. Settle down. I'll preach all day. He says in verse 5, he, meaning God, he, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is really where we see grace as God's work in our life. This is really, this is the most powerful, most encouraging part of this entire text. Here's a word that Paul uses. He uses this word adoption. He says he predestined us to adoption. And what a picture this paints for us. If we know anything about adoption, we understand this. That adoption is about really bringing children that are in need into our home, right? To adopting them into our life. We, we, we see children in our hearts, they break because they're orphaned. And as we, as we see this, we, we find ourselves at a place where we want to adopt them. We want to bring them into our home. And so we understand this about adoption. But here's what we need to really understand about adoption. In adoption, the child never gets to choose which family he goes to. The family always chooses which child they will bring into their family. And Paul's painting this picture for us. Just like a child in need, we are living our life in sin. And our Savior, he looks out and he sees a child in need. A few moments ago, we were singing a song about us being children of God. We are a child of God. Beautiful beautiful song, beautiful lyrics about this very thing, but God looks out at humanity and he sees children in need. And Paul says he predestined us for adoption. In other words, God in his sovereign work, he brings us into his family that we become children of God, sons and daughters. What a beautiful thing. That God would care so deeply for us. That God would be so concerned for us. That he would reach out and he would draw us near unto himself. And that through salvation, by grace, we are saved. No longer just living our life as sinners in need of a Savior but people who are saints because they have a Savior. And His name is Jesus. Amen? Jesus changes everything, doesn't He? Jesus changes everything. What a beautiful picture. Paul, man, 
in six verses, he just, man, he just gets me ready for the rest of it. As he begins to touch on who we are in Christ Jesus. Verse six, I, I said we were gonna read every verse, so I gotta, I gotta read this one, this is the last one. But he says in verse six, he says, to the praises of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To the praises, to the praises of his glorious grace. Grace rejuvenates worship. Paul says when we begin to understand who we are in Christ Jesus, and we recognize who God is, when we recognize God's grace in our life, that will prompt us, it will restore, it will renew our worship to God. It's not just about what we sing when we sing the lyrics of this song. It's about what we sing with our heart as we think about who Christ is. And Paul says, when you begin to wrap your mind around exactly who Jesus is, when you begin to understand how amazing and beautiful he is, for reaching out to us while we were yet still in our sin and rescuing us, that will prompt you to worship Him. And so this morning, in just a moment, I'm gonna pray and our, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna lead us in that last song and we have this amazing opportunity to just reflect on who Christ is. Maybe for some of us today, our greatest act of worship is coming to this altar and just spending some time with the Lord in prayer, thanking Him for the work He's done in our life. Maybe it's turning to our neighbor or the one we came with and saying, will you pray with me? We have some pastors that'll be down front. Maybe you want to pray with them. Maybe your greatest act of worship is just stand up and sing this last song with all of your heart because this is the heart. This is the song that just resonates in your heart. But whatever it is that God's calling you to do, would you just be faithful to just respond to him? Let our hearts be led to worship.